If you open your Bibles to the book of uh, Proverbs chapter 3, that will be our study tonight. Proverbs chapter 3, it is a tremendous, tremendous text. It is not, there's really nothing really complex in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, but it is profound and life-changing when we get a hold and apply what Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6 talks about. It is one of the great texts of the, of the Scriptures, and we hope that as we study it, we hope that we will be benefited and blessed as we seek to make application in our lives. In the book of Proverbs chapter 3, notice number 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own, uh, thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. I remember when I first started studying the Bible, I was about mm, maybe 19 years old, really to actually study the Bible. When I was a kid, my mom had a had a Bible that sat on the coffee table. I remember looking through it, and it had some pictures in it, and, and that's about the only Bible study I ever did. It was just sort of look at the pictures. never did make a lot of sense, but uh, that, that was until I was 19. And then I began reading the Bible. And there was a lot. It's like, well, I don't know, I don't know. And then we come across something like, whoa, that's, that's a great... Verse, I, I understand that. That's pretty simple. And this was one of the verses in the book of Proverbs that just sort of stuck out in my mind. And we've used this verse. We had it read when we got married in 1979. When we had our 25th wedding anniversary, we had the verse read. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, when Tiffany made a cake uh, for a get-together that we had, she put on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And so it really means a lot to me. It is certainly rich in meaning. Nothing overly complex about it, but certainly rich in meaning and in its depth. And so that's our study as we talk about Proverbs chapter 3. First off, it says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. We exhorted several times in the scriptures to trust in God. For instance, in the little book of Ruth there. Uh, Boaz, he talks about Ruth. And uh, it says there in number 12, Therefore the Lord, uh, the Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given, uh, given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings uh, you are come to trust. Ruth came to trust in Jehovah, the God of the Hebrews. And then in the book of Psalms, in the book of Psalms, the 115th Psalm, Notice there in number 11, it says, Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is our help and their shield. Trust in the Lord. That's what we need to do is to be trusting in the Lord. Then in Psalm 118, notice number 8, number 9, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. And if you want to know my political view, there it is, there, number nine. I put my trust in the Lord. I don't put a lot of confidence in any of the leaders that we have. I have political views, but I don't put a lot of confidence in politicians. I don't really look to politicians for a lot, hoping that they'll just do their job, and that is to try to keep our, our land safe. That, that's really the main goal, is to punish evildoers and to protect the good. That's the main purpose, Romans chapter 13. A lot of other hoopla, it's just, uh, well, we don't want to get in politics because uh, it's not very pretty most of the time. All right, but it says put your trust in the Lord and not put it in princes. And that's my uh, montage about politics in particular. All right, Psalm 125, it says, They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. 
but abideth forever. It's like you see a mountain, you know, maybe a famous hill that maybe you're familiar with. I mean, who can go over there and just shake it and move it? Well, they're pretty stable, and that's what the psalm is saying. Put your trust in the Lord. He's pretty stable. He's pretty unshakable. So put your trust in God. And then over in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, notice there in number 17, it says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. Material things. They're uncertain. They're going to be here today and gone tomorrow. We talked about some, some about that this morning. He says, Nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. That is, put your trust in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And so what the psalmist is exhorting us is to trust in the Lord. Now, when we talk about trust, what, what, what do we mean? What's the definition of trust? Well, the word trust means confidence. Put your confidence in the Lord. It means believe in the Lord. It means to be persuaded, to have faith, to, to, to count as reliable. When you put your trust, you're, you're, you're counting that the Lord is reliable, that He is there, and that what He says is, is that he's telling you the truth and what he promises he's going to fulfill and what he warns, he's going to fulfill that also. So we put our trust in the Lord. You know, to me, it's it's always funny when you hear you talk with atheists or you know agnostics. Say, well, you know, how do you how do you how do you put trust in in God, somebody you've never seen? And the funny thing is that they trust in things they've never seen. It's like you 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 ask somebody that that takes that position. Well, do you have a brain? Like, if I say, Randy, do you have a brain? You would say, yeah. But the question is, have you ever seen your brain? Have you ever felt your brain? Have you ever touched your brain? No, but you believe you have a brain. So we believe we have brains. It's based upon pretty good evidence. But but we accept it by faith. Well, so it is with God. I've never seen God. (coughs) But I have full trust and confidence in Him. Because there's just tremendous evidence. That was kind of what we talked about this morning in the, in the class downstairs. Talking about why should I trust the Bible's Word of God. It claims to be the Word of God, but do we have evidence? Yeah, there's tons of evidence, and we just kind of just did a quick overview of some of the evidence. So why do you trust someone? Or why would you trust something? When you get in your car, why do you trust that your car is going to start and that you're going to get to where you want to go? Why, why is it? Why, why when you come up to a bridge, like, whoa, like if you're heading back to Monticello this evening, it's like, oh, I don't know if I'm going across that bridge. Well, yeah, you're going to go across it because you see, and there's lots of reasons why you trust crossing the bridge across Lake Cumberland, across Cumberland River. There's lots of reasons, good reasons for that, that you put complete confidence and trust and persuade that the bridge is going to not fall down or that your car is going to get you from point A to point B. So why would we trust in someone or trust something? Sometimes it's by observation. It's kind of what we observe that we trust something. For instance, in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 37, verse 25, the psalmist says, I have been young, now I'm old, yet have not seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. So here's a person that was young, and he had gone through life, and one of the things that he observed about life is that the righteous nor his seed would be out begging bread, that God sort of takes care of his own. He just observed that by his observation in life. When you sort of observe something, you're like, well, you kind of begin putting confidence in it. 
For instance, in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, the book of Hebrews chapter 1 talks about God's spokesman, that's Jesus, verses 1 and 2. Then the writer goes on to say there in Hebrews chapter 1, I'll get to it here just momentarily, but in verse 3 he talks about Jesus. It says, who being the brightness, or that is the radiance of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. All right. We know Jesus was the instrument that God used to create the world. God said Jesus carried out creating the world, as the text says. But it also talks about in the text that he upholds all things. Have you ever observed about the world we live in, how Jesus is upholding the world that we live in? Have you kind of noticed that there's a kind of a pattern every year that now we're moving into summer and then summer will be over and we will move into fall and fall will be over and we will move into winter. And sometimes you think the winter is long and cold. Will it ever end? Yep, it always ends because spring comes after that. And after spring comes summer again. I'm 59 years old and I have never seen it fail, the change of season. By observation, you can see that Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. You talk about gravity. Have you ever been walking along somewhere and you're walking along and you say, whoa, don't step over there, there's no gravity over there. You just go floating up in the sky. Are you scared there's a place where there's no gravity? I'm not scared either. Why? Because I put complete confidence based upon observation. Gravity works all the time in every place. Does it not? Yeah, it is upheld by the word of his power. Or like the sun will soon be going down, it is a little late because we're almost to the summer solstice. We have long days. And then the sun will go down and then the sun will come up tomorrow morning, assuming that Jesus doesn't return. And then tomorrow night the sun will go down again and then on Tuesday morning the sun will come up again. That is our experience. We see it over and over again. I don't know how many days, I forget, I've calculated one time, it's close to 20,000 days, sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset. I put complete confidence in the sunrise and the sunset. Why? Because God upholds all things by the power of his word. So you begin to put trust. You don't say, I don't know, I go to bed tonight, I'm not sure the sun's coming up tomorrow. Assuming that Jesus doesn't come, of course the sun's going to come up tomorrow. That's how we, 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 we gain trust, by just simply by observation. Sometimes we gain trust or confidence based upon the testimony of others. For instance, in the book of Acts chapter 9, you read about Saul, who would become Paul the Apostle. He is converted to Jesus. And he's out preaching Jesus. And he comes to Jerusalem. And it's like some of the disciples, "Eh, you know, I don't know. He was the persecutor. He's the one that was putting people, Christians, in prison. He is the one that was uh, there consenting to the to the death of Stephen, etc. And they're not sure whether to accept him. And so it says in verse 26, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed, that is, he tried to join himself to the disciples. That is, he wanted to be identified, to be placed membership, we sometimes call it. That is, he wanted to be identified with the congregation there. But they were afraid of him and believed not that he was the disciple, was a disciple. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto him how, how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly in Damascus in the, in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. Well, what happens there? Well, Barnabas, everybody had a lot of confidence in Barnabas and based upon the testimony of Barnabas, Barnabas said, no, 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 so he, he, he really was converted. Yeah, he's been preaching boldly. Yeah, he's made a tremendous change. Yeah, I know this guy. I've been with him. I've seen this, this, this tremendous change wrought in him, etc. And so based upon the testimony of somebody else, well, we come to believe. And so it is, when it, we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it was the apostles who were the appointed ones that, of course, gave testimony to the resurrected Lord. And that's why Jesus appeared to Paul for him to be an apostle. He had to see the resurrected Jesus. And that's why he appeared unto him, among other things. But Saul became convinced and he became one of the apostles to give testimony of the resurrected Lord. And we believe the testimony of the apostles because they are very credible witnesses. We were talking about this a little bit this morning in the class downstairs. It's like, you know, if you're going to trial and you get witnesses, well, what is the district attorney or the Lord defending lawyer going to do if they're going to listen to these witnesses? Uh, well, they want to kind of check them out. You know, if somebody's giving a witness, giving test testimony about somebody, and they do a little research, and it's like, lo and behold, they've just, whoa, $100,000 showed up in their bank account. You go, well, like, where did that come from? Maybe they're being paid under the table or something. Sometimes people do a lot of things for money, and so that would kind of put, you know, big question marks on the testimony when somebody's being paid off. Or you begin to cross-examine, and you begin to, hey, well, this is just not fitting. This is not fitting with the evidence. You scratch off the testimony when they show themselves to be untruthful. Well... When you look at the apostles and you examine the testimony, you examine, cross-examine any way you want to. Now, be fair. Be dishonest if you want to be dishonest. You can say, oh, well, they're a bunch of liars. No, but when you look at it, you have to come to the conclusion, hey, they saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. They saw Jesus raised from the dead, and they were giving that testimony, and based upon their testimony that Jesus was raised from the dead, therefore, I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Because I've never seen Jesus. You've never seen Jesus. We did not see him before his crucifixion. We did not see him after his crucifixion. But we believe the testimony that was recorded in the pages of inspiration of people that did. And their testimony stands sure and steadfast. So therefore, we begin to put our trust in Jesus. And there's one other way maybe that we come to uh, put faith. And that is through our own experience. In the book of 1 Peter chapter... Uh, uh, two there, an interesting verse. In First Peter chapter 2, in number 3, it says, uh, If so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm not as bad as, uh, as I was when I was younger, but I'm a little bit finicky about eating. It's like I, I don't really like to put stuff in my mouth that doesn't taste good. I mean, I just feel like I'm going to vomit if I get something that just tastes bad. You know, and so if I'm at somebody's house and they offer food, it's like, well, exactly what's the ingredients? 
And if I'm not sure if it has ingredients that I know I don't like, I'll just pass on that. I feel it is more polite to say I don't like than to put it on my plate, put it in my mouth, and sit there and gag and maybe throw up at the table. That's my, that's my reasoning. I don't know. But, you know, sometimes there are foods that somebody say, boy, that is so good. And, uh, and I kind of ask you about the ingredients. Well, I might like that. And they say, try it, you'll like it. And maybe they're eating it, it's like, well, it's so good. And so finally, maybe a lot of people are talking about how good it is, but then you try it, and then it's like, whoa, that is good. That really tastes good. And so then by your own experience, you say, well, yeah, it does taste good. And that's the way it is. I mean, you can talk about... You know, being committed to the Lord and serving Him, the uh, the glory and the joys of being a Christian, that the Lord is gracious. And you can listen to other Christians talk about how it is wonderful to be right with the Lord. But you'll never really fully understand until you taste and see for yourself. To experience it for yourself. In the book of Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about this concept of experience as we go through life. He says there in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience. And patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. All right. The word experience, some says proven character. That is, by experience. That is, as we go through life and various events and, and the Lord walking with us and the Lord helping us, that through experience we understand that, yeah, God's going to be there. Yeah, sometimes we're up on the mountain and we see these beautiful vistas and sometimes we're down the valley and it looks like, well, there's no way out. But we just keep trusting in God and through experience, as we go through the up and downs, it's like, well, I guess we're on one of the downsides, but let's just keep trusting in God. And don't know exactly how it's all going to work out, but we just keep trusting in the Lord. And that is, of course, how we come to trust as we look through observation, the testimony of others, and through experience. And that's what the wise man is saying. Trust in the Lord. And he says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. With all your heart. Trust. Total. Total commitment. Total trust in the Lord. Not some... Not just sort of dabble with this religion thing. Not with part of your heart or a lot of your heart or even most of your heart. The text says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Totality. You remember when the Ethiopian eunuch wanted to be baptized there in Acts chapter 8? And he says, well, what would hinder me from being baptized? And Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If you believe with all your heart. Not if you believe with, you know, some of your heart or a bunch of your heart or most of your heart. No, with all your heart, yeah, you can be. And he was, he obeyed the gospel because he believed with all his heart. And so, we have to trust in the Lord with all our heart. There in the book of Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, you see Paul making that kind of commitment there. In the language, when he says there in verse 12, For the which cause I suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed... And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Well, what did he commit? Well, he committed his whole heart. It was like a wholehearted commitment. It's like he was going all the way, not part of the way, some of the way, most of the way. No, I'm in it 100%. 
In the book of Philippians, he talks about his wholehearted commitment. When he left Judaism and cast his lots with the Lord, he, he describes the same commitment there in Philippians 3. He talks about all the things that he had as advantages there in verses 3 uh, or verses 4 and following there while in Judaism. But he says in verse 8, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung or rubbish, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Jesus Christ, the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, for that which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count, my, I count not myself to have apprehend, uh, apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing for those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul, it was a total commitment. He was in it 100%. He wasn't just dabbling. He wasn't, it wasn't, he didn't have a divided soul. It was, it was Christ. It was Jesus. It's his truth. It's, it's following his way. That's it. End of story. That's the way it's going to be. Whatever the Lord says, that's the way it is. Whatever Jesus teaches, that's the way it is. That's the truth of the matter. If it's difficult, well, Lord, help me to do that which is difficult. There are things in the in the Scriptures that sometimes are very difficult in the application, but we say, Lord, help me. Help me to do what I need to do and to be the kind of person that I need to be. Now, the song 326... You can open your songbooks or just listen to that verse 3 once again. Verse 3 it says, But we never can prove the delights of His love until all on the altar we lay. If you're not willing to lay it all on the altar, if we're not willing to come wholeheartedly, it just doesn't work. This divided heart is only torment. To have, you know, the proverbial, proverbial one foot in the church and like one foot in the world. And we just can't make up our mind really which way we want to go. We just need to be totally committed. Hey, Jesus, totally for the Lord, His way and His will. That's just the way it's got to be. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. You know, we kind of like to do things that we get it all figured out past few years, I've traveled uh, several times with some different fellas out west to see the national parks. If it says national park, it's a special place. Let me tell you, it's a special place. I've seen most of the, uh, of the big national parks, Grand Canyon, uh, Yosemite, Yellowstone, Badlands. I've seen Mount Rushmore. I've seen a lot of cool places uh, throughout the United States, Niagara Falls, etc., but in planning these trips, you know, I kind of like to know, you know, where I'm going to stay. Kind of plan out, you know, how far it is. You know, I just don't want to be traveling. You're up there in Yellowstone, and the, and the night comes, like, well, uh, where are we going to spend the night at? I mean, you know, those hotels in the park get booked up, and all around the park get booked up. So you kind of like, need to plan a little ahead of time. And you could just sleep in your car. You don't want to just sleep out in the open unless you've got bear spray. I mean, the animals are wild up there in Yellowstone. There's a lot of them. 
So you kind of like to get things figured out. And that's the way, that's the way we're as human beings. You know, there's things we sort of like to kind of figure out. You know, if I'm going to go to college, well, am I going to be able to have the funds to pay for college and to have a place to stay and all that? So you kind of like to figure that out before you just jump in. And there are things like that. You, before you buy a house, I mean, you just don't want to go over there and just sign your name to, to a house when you... Well, you may not be able to afford it. I mean, you kind of like to set, sit down and calculate things out, figure, kind of figure it out a little bit ahead of time. That's kind of the way we are as human beings. Probably some good sense in some of those areas that we need to figure it out. But when it comes to serving God, you know, some things maybe we'll not be able to see. I think about the example of Abraham. You know, there in, uh, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about Abraham and his call. Notice in Hebrews 11, verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go a place, uh, called out to go into a place uh, which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed, and went out not knowing where he was going. Could, could you imagine Abraham coming home talking to Sarah? Hey, Sarah, we're going to be moving. Well, well, we're moving. Well, we're moving to the land of Canaan. Well, what, exactly where is that? What's it look like? Well, I don't know. What are we going to do? Well, I don't know. And how, how's all the, how's that all going to work out? Well, I don't know. He, he didn't know all about it. But God called him, and if God called him, well, I'm sure God's going to help take care of him and watch over him. And that, that's what faith's all about, that we put trust in God, that maybe we don't have it all figured out, but we just trust in God that he is going to take care of that. In the book of Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, Paul talks about Abraham. God made promises. All right, Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have a youngin. He's close to 100. She's 90. Uh, that doesn't look like it. For 25 years, they were kept waiting for a kid, kept waiting for a child. And then, ultimately, God fulfills the promise. But notice there in verse 18 of Romans chapter 4, Who against hope, <clears throat> who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which is spoken, so shall thy seed be. Who against hope believed in hope? That seems a little crazy expression. Who against hope believed in hope? Who against hope? That is, in the hope of reason, it didn't seem reasonable. A 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old wife going to have a kid. So the hope of reason, it didn't seem reasonable, but he had the hope of promise. So that's why Paul says, who against hope believed in hope? He believed in the hope of the promise of God. God said it. He just kept believing. Well, God worked it out. He didn't have to figure it out. God promised it, and that's the way it's going to be. If we could illustrate it there in Matthew chapter 6, what Jesus promises there when it comes to necessities, food and clothes. There in number 25 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, uh, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought, or be not anxious for your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what we shall put on. Is not the body more than food, and the body is not life uh, more than food, and the body more than raiment? Behold, the fowl of the air, they sow not, they sow not neither do they reap. Uh, nor gather or gather into the barns, yet your, your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? And which of you, by taking uh, thought or having anxiety, can add one cubic unto his statue? And why take you uh, thought for raiment? Why be anxious about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they, they toil not, neither do they spin, etc. Well, that's the point. When it comes to food and clothes, God says, okay, I'm going to take care of your necessities. Maybe not everything you want. You might be thinking, I sure would like to have a Lamborghini. Those are cool cars. I sure would like to have one. Well, you might get one. They're pretty pricey, I understand. But you don't need that. That's not a necessity. 
food and clothes, those are necessities. Especially you think about clothes in the wintertime. You don't have to have a lot of clothes just to cover for modesty and decency in the summertime. But in the wintertime, you've got to have jackets and stuff like that, maybe gloves, hats, etc., uh, to be protected from the weather. But God said he's going to take care of that. And he takes care of the birds. Have you ever seen a bird? You ever watch birds? Have you seen a bird out there just, just, oh, just ringing, ringing its, uh, its feet? Thinking, oh, what am I going to do? No, birds don't do that. God takes care of them. And the flowers? You see them sweating it, thinking, oh, wow, how's this going to take place? No, God takes care of the flowers. They just come up and they bloom and grow and magnificent and radiant. And the point that Jesus is trying to make is that God's going to take care of them. Somebody says, well, how's God going to do that? Well, you don't have to see that. That's what our text tells us. Lean not unto thine own understanding. That's what faith's all about. Somebody says, how's it going to be? I don't know all the time. But we just keep trusting the Lord that God's promised and we're just going to believe in God. Just like Abraham believed in God. Well, how's this all going to work out? We're getting close to 100. I'm getting close to 100. And Sarah's close to 90. But he still kept believing. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. All thy ways acknowledge him. Well, the reason why we need to acknowledge the Lord is that the Lord knows everything. And the Lord sees everything. And the Lord completely understands about the world that we live in. You know, I think that was the point that when Job, he sort of had a few questions about what was happening to him. And, and, and you know, maybe he has some doubts about God. And when you look at the last chapters of Job, and, and God gives all these questions to Job, well, what's the point? Well, Job, if you can't understand the simpler things, how are you going to understand the more complex things? That is the problem of suffering. It's kind of like somebody's, you got, you got a little child that, you know, they're, they're all worried about calculus in school. They're worried about taking trigonometry when they get in high school. Well, if, if you don't even know how to count, you don't even to, if you don't even know how to do simple math, why, why are you going to work out the more complex? And that's the point. I mean, you know, sometimes it's difficult even to understand some of the simple things, let alone the more complex things about life, like suffering in the world that we live in. I mean, you've got a lot of people in the world, and maybe here's somebody over here praying for rain, somebody over here uh, that's a Christian, and they're praying it's not rain because they, they've cut their hay and they need to get it up. Well, how are you going to answer those prayers? you got one Christian praying for rain one praying that don't rain. I mean, how does all those things work out? You see, the world's very complex in which we live in, and God takes care of all those things. There in the book of James, chapter 1, James talks about the, in the midst of sufferings uh, that come our way. <clears throat> he says there in verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations or various trials. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and attire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, that is, well, now, Lord, how should I handle this trouble, this problem that's come our way? Well, if you lack wisdom in the application of God's word, let him ask of God that give it to him, that give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavers like the wave of the sea, uh, driven uh, with the wind and tossed, uh, for let not a man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What do we do? We trust in the Lord. We just acknowledge God. Just trust in that God. He's a lot smarter than me. He's a lot powerful than me. He understands better than me. 
He understands better than other people. He's more powerful than other people. He is the most powerful being in the world. He takes care of birds. Surely he's going to take care of me. I mean, surely I'm more important than the birds, Jesus says. So in our ways, we just acknowledge him. And then it says, and he shall direct your paths. He will guide us in the good paths. That which is good, just put in our trust in God. He's going to do what's best for us. Guide us in the roads in which way we need to go. Notice there in the book of James chapter 3, in James chapter 3 and verse 6, James says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and is set on fire the course of nature. And is set on the fire of hell, the course of nature. The marginal says, the wheel of nature. That's an interesting figure of speech there. The wheel of life, some translations give. What's the point about the wheel of life? If you think of the olden days of a wagon wheel, and you've got those spokes. A wagon wheel has all those spokes, and it goes out different directions. In human relationships, we have five possible human relationships. There are five paths or roads that we will find ourselves interrelating in various ways. And those five ways are family, Society, work, the church, and government. That pretty much takes in all the human relationships that we're going to find ourselves in, in this world. And in each of those five paths, in the wheel of nature, God will direct us. If we're putting our trust when it comes to work and, well, how are we to handle that? Well, let's just trust in God and look at his principles of how we're to handle that. When it comes before government, well, let's just keep trusting in God and handle handle our relationship before government, the powers that be. Or in the church, or in society, or in the family. You see, God, He directs in every single one of these ways, He directs our paths. He shows us. It's revealed in His Word. If we don't know, we're not sure of the application, well, we pray for wisdom, as James chapter 1 talks about. But we do it in faith with full confidence that God will answer our prayers. Somebody says, well, how's God going to do that? There could be any number of ways. Could be that we just happen to read a verse somewhere. Could be that we maybe talk to somebody and, hey, we gain some insight. Maybe we just happen to see something on the Internet or maybe something on television. Maybe we read an article somewhere that's like, oh, maybe some experience that, well, hey, now I kind of understand. You see, God will answer the prayer when we ask for wisdom. Somebody says, how's this going to happen? We don't have to know how it all works out. That God just promised it and just put our trust that God's going to take care of that. That's what faith is all about. We trust in the Lord. You see, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we walk by faith and not by sight. That means that we're, well, we've got to see how, how, how it's going to come to pass. We don't always have to see it. That's where trust comes in. And that's what trust is all about in serving God. So the question is, as we turn now to talk about the invitation of Jesus, have you trusted in Jesus? Just put your trust in God. You, know, you don't have to understand everything, but there are some things you've got to understand, and they're pretty simple in God's scheme of redemption of what human beings need to be doing in coming to God. The steps of salvation are clearly revealed, and that is that we just... Okay, Lord, I, I don't know and I'm not sure and I don't see how it's all going to be, but I'm putting, your trust, I'm putting my trust in you. 
That's what you said. Believe in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That's what I'm going to do. You say, you say to believe in Jesus as God's Son. I believe it. You say repent. Yeah, I'm going to make that turn. You say confess. I'm going to confess Jesus before man. And you say be immersed. That's what I'm going to do because you said it. You said it was for the remission of sins. I'm just going to trust. How does that work? Well, you don't have to understand all the inner workings. Is that that's what God said and that's what we're going to do. We just do the Lord's will. That's what trust is all about. Just putting confidence in the Lord. And just come up out of that watery grave and just keep serving the Lord. Well, we're going to sing this song to you. Encourage me. If you're here, you're not a Christian, you want to become one, let us know. Tell us. Hey, I've been thinking about it. I've been studying about it. And I think tonight's the night. I want to step out in faith and obedience. If we can help you that in, or if you're a Christian by the wayside, you need to make things right, come back through repentance and prayer. We sing this song to your encouragement. And if you have decided to follow Jesus and we can assist you, please express your desires. Walk together as we stand and as we sing.